We acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land as the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. See, that's a red flag. <laughs> it's a red flag. Welcome, everybody, to Waving the Red Flag. we got another week of, uh, of scintillating tales and uh, an interesting intrigue about relationships and all things uh, interesting in the world. i got my boy uh, Alvin back here again over the internet over there in Atlanta with his new job, doing big fancy things uh, to come in and talk to us about uh, his relationship shit, my relationship failures, and uh, the world at large. How you, how you been, man? Been very good. How about yourself? Uh, weirdly super good, man. This coronavirus shit is fucking good. Like, I feel like my coronavirus uh, lockdown shit is, is what everybody on the internet is complaining that they thought it was going to be, but then it wasn't. You know what I mean? I also want to point out that you thought the world was going to end five months ago. And now you just realize that like the world isn't going to end. Um, I still don't think the shoes dropped fully in the, on the United States economy, but just want to point out that the world didn't end. Um, yeah, no, I'm with you there. Like I never said the world would end. I just thought there was a significant, Hey, 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 that's, that's, that don't got nothing to do with me. I, I'm saying that there was a high likelihood that it would. And like you said, the shoe still hadn't quite dropped. So I'm still of the, I'm still of the opinion that it may very well, but I would, Fair enough. so I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not saying that it hasn't ended and won't end. What I'm saying is that I live a single individual, small life. So as much as I've okay. been talking about this, the, the, the sky falling and all of that, I manage my own life in a very specific way. So even if the world does end, I'm hoping that even within that world, I'm doing as best as I can as an individual, you know? So I managed, I didn't lose my job, still got my visa going, got, a, got my house, got my rent reduced. Like I'm, I'm chilling in the pandemic. I'm chilling in the apocalypse. Y'all still going to be fucked up though. World still, it's, it's, it's some, some shits is still going to crumble. I'll do it without you. I don't need you or anybody else. I'm going to make it on my own. <laughs> I am not very optimistic because, again, like everything in the United States kind of is riding on the unemployment protections that were basically keeping the entire economy afloat. The entire Western economy floats on consumerism. So consumerism didn't really drop that much because people still need things and they were still able to get things because we were giving you know, that additional boost on top of unemployment. Once that finally ends and it will eventually end, like now it's basically just greatly reduced um, in most states. What's the, what's the vibe? Because I remember that little, that little bullshit baby 12, like $1,200 payment that they gave out and that was it. But has there also, but, but I guess unemployment has been in place that like regular unemployment has been in place that whole time and has been increased. Is that the idea? Yeah. So we, so people who made below a certain amount got, got a $1,200 stimulus. And that was just like a one-time thing. But what happened yes. in the United States was, yeah, you got, you got regular unemployment. And then on top of that, you got a $600 additional benefit. Okay. So, okay. So, so, so the government has been more or less supporting people, at least in the, in the regular, like, cause, cause I was checking on one of your, my mutual, you know, associates or whatever, colleagues, whatever the fuck was buddies. And I was like, yo, are you good? Cause like, he's got like a baby, a wife, like a house. Yeah and lost his job and shit and i'm trying to figure out like over here i know what it's like like for me i'd have been fucked up but I'm, I'm lucky that i landed in a job that can be done you know even in a pandemic world and it's kind of like kind of semi-pandemic proof and everybody else who's australian their government is just just taking care of them motherfuckers who just would be just are fine just chilling at home watching netflix getting uber eats every day not a problem money is there until of course it, it dries up that's we don't know how far that out how that is but I got the sense that America was like, people were just like, yeah, I just, I lost my job as a barista and that's it for me. But you're telling no. me that, that it's nothing like that. So just, just to put everything into perspective, um, there are a lot of people, like even at my site, when I first started working um, at the place where I work, that literally quit their job because they were like, it's more cost effective for me to quit my job. So like there was one particular, and this, this was, this is, I'm giving one example out of literally hundreds of people. But one example sure. was a guy was like, he was like, he was like, my wife is a registered nurse and the daycares are closed. He was like, I'm going to quit, collect unemployment, basically get exactly how much I'm getting by working here 
and allow her to keep her, you know, and allow her to keep her income. Mm. So like a lot, so like a lot of people were playing that game. So it was like, um, and again, this isn't the majority, so I don't want to make this, um, like a right wing spin or anything. But, These goddamn welfare queens um, out here fucking milking the government teat, taking money from the government instead of no, getting not, a fucking not even, job, not even pulling that, themselves like, up. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a lot of people. Like uh, initially, initially, uh, the initial jump in the unemployment numbers in the United States were because gig workers who previously didn't qualify for unemployment now qualify for unemployment and just got it because they could. Right. And so they, so, 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 so they now, well, that, that would mean that they had a boost in their buying power or something like that. Almost. Is that the idea? Yeah. Which is why, which is why if you look at like, if you look at like consumer, like spending reports in the United States, like for like May is the last, the, May is the last one that I remember. It didn't really, it didn't really flinch. That's what, yeah, that's what's very wild to me. But I think, I think you're right that there'll, there'll be something like a, a shoe dropping at some point. So what's, if you, if that, if that stimulus check comes through, what's the first thing you're going to buy? If some, if, if some extra, you know, boost money, that's no strings attached to just, they, they hit you with five grand. Where's that going? I no longer qualify. I know, I know, but let's say you do in the future. You know what I mean? Because because these are future stimuli that don't don't exist. They, right now, they say, look, anybody between three hundred thousand and ninety thousand a year, we're giving you six grand to just spend, invest, whatever the fuck you want to do. Where's your money going? I probably put it all in a mutual fund. So responsible. I'm blowing that shit on bullshit immediately. Probably yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, that sounds like a good idea. I mean, I might blow the windfall from my mutual fund eventually on bullshit but what's on what's on your what's on your bullshit list i know i, I know i'm trying to get that Neuralink when it comes out in like t- 2024 I'm trying to get that shit installed straight in my head as soon as possible but what's on your on your wish list i mean the thing is at this point and i and i've been telling people this like i just went on like a buying spree so a lot of like little shit like that i've already bought you know what i mean like i've already i've already bought things that Wait, like, you already bought a Neuralink. no i'm saying i'm saying like i'm you're saying like if i got a stimulus well first oh, of all you, if I, like you've, if you've, I wanted, you've already bought the consumer like tvs and bluetooth headphones and that type of shit you're saying yeah and like and like theoretically like if i wanted something that costs like five six thousand dollars i could buy it next month so it really wouldn't make a difference that money would just be going straight to investment essentially that's a good ass position to be in. I had a friend who told me like, once I got this job, I, I think we've had this conversation where he was like, you're going to start wanting things that you didn't even know you wanted. So I'm, I'm thinking about what that you start next developing thing is rich, me. rich, rich motherfucker taste. Cause I, when I think about like rich, rich people, I mean, you kind of, you, you occasionally see the, the opulent, you know, conspicuous consumption shit, at, you know, of a big boat or things like that. But I know that there's, there's probably products that, like the, the algorithm is never going to suggest that shit to me on my Instagram feed because it just orders a magnitude beyond like, I, I still don't have a bed frame. Like I'm, 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 I found a, a free one on marketplace. So that's, that's where my dreams begin and end, you know, within the like hundred dollar range on a, on a, any particular object. But I know once you get into that range where you're making, you know, six figures or more, yeah. Like you said, there's shit that you want to buy that I've never even fucking heard of what the fuck it is. I don't even know what it does. You get stem cell injections into your fucking belly button that, you know, make your dick bigger or some <laughs> shit like that. I, I don't know. I don't know what rich people really buy. I have no idea. Have, have you gotten a little bit of a peek into what those things might be? Not really. I don't think. Because there are things that like, well, I'm now thinking about things where... I thought that that was just like completely unattainable. And now I'm like, Hmm, could I do that next year? Like the big thing for me is I keep saying, I'm going to get um, a NetJet subscription and people are like, Alvin, what are you, what, like, what the why fuck you is that? So it's like you pay, okay, you pay are you like, even allowed to tell broke niggas what it is? Cause you, you, you just yeah, like, like maybe you had to sign a contract to, to, to not let the poor people know about it. No, because no, because like, I, like I said, I knew about NetJets before I got this, but it's just like, I didn't, I didn't fully realize that it was relatively attainable. You know what I mean? I, I thought that that was something that like, but basically it's like you sign in an, you sign like an initiation fee and like you pay like a, you know, like a monthly charge. And basically, you can just like dial up a private jet. Man, what the fuck? That- <laughs> uh, yeah, I knew this was gonna be some shit that's just totally beyond my. What the? So, so, so there's what a subscription service for the PJs? Is that the idea? <laughs> yeah, basically. And it's like you can, and it's like you can you can find ways to make it cheaper than it is. Like if you like have like 
several friends have NetJets. Tell, tell me, like tell me, tell me, like tell me a number. Like a, tell me a number so I can feel bad about myself because you're gonna say some shit like it's affordable, and that's my whole yearly salary. So go ahead and tell me the this affordable number you can get it down to if you I honestly, split up. The I bill. honestly don't even remember what it is off the top of my head, but I remember looking into it and saying like, "Wow, I might could." I like I was like, "Bonus time, I could swing that." I, man, if if you ever get that, you gotta you gotta pri- you gotta private jet over to over to here and just because I've never even you there's so many. Do you ever okay? So so I wonder if you ever get this experience of like when you watch a movie, there are so many parts in movies where it's like this is a this is some normal shit for the characters in the thing, but you realize that you've never even seen what the fuck this space is and it's not always because of like wealth sometimes it's just because it's like a specialized area like i've never been or even seen a police interrogation room they've only existed as a as a fantasy thing and until i worked in hospitality i'd never been in like a kitchen i've never been in the boiler room of a ship things like that and like the inside cabin of a private jet is one of those areas where it's like it probably wouldn't even be that expensive to just be in one not necessarily to ride in one but just to to sit on one of the chairs inside of that is a space i have never even been close to being able to experience so it's one of the it's one of those kinds of it exists in some sort of magical movie land or some shit like that that's fair and like i completely understand that but that's gonna be your reality soon. I, okay, I appreciate it. We, okay, okay, you, okay, okay. So, so no. So here's the. I got the pricing for Wheels Up, which is like a NetJets uh, competitor. So it's like the one-time initiation fee is three thousand dollars. <laughs> you got the the Rite Aid private jet <laughs> subscription. <laughs> you got the 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 better value no. uh, private jet. Is that is that what's going on? Yeah, like like no, like I like I like I don't know anybody that has a NetJets account. I have friends that have Wheels Up accounts. Um, like. One-time initiation free, three thousand dollars annual dues, twenty-five hundred, and then it's kind of like you pay for mileage, like like that, like it's very doable, like that's very doable. Have you ever been on a on a private jet? No. Okay. Have you have you ever traveled anything other than economy class? Um. Yeah. Okay. How how far up are we talking? Business first. Economy Plus, what's up? Well, first of all, I never, I never fly anything other than Economy Plus. You know, I need that extra leg room. You know, that couple inches matters. You know what I mean? So you, but, um, you never even been to Economy. Well, I've you been to Economy, but through. that's how I know Economy sucks. Man, that shit is garbage, bro. It's, it's. I mean, actually, you know what? It, it depends on my mood and where I'm going to and where I'm coming from. Like, you can, you can really sit there and be like, man, this is slavery conditions. They got us in here, like, you know, like tuna. F-. And it's like, bro, you're, you're flying internationally. Like, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what the economics of that is, but that's a fucking magical goddamn experience, man. I went to sleep and woke up in China. Like, that's insane. But. I do know that they're cutting costs every available place that they can. Oh, yeah. Even when that means that I am having to experience a very, very inconvenient-ish experience. But then that brings up, well, is it my right to be able to have affordable cross-international overseas airplane jet travel? Is, is that something that I am owed as a as a citizen of the world and i don't know so if if if, if you know if i got to get deep vein thrombosis in my legs because i'm flying for 13 hours with my knees buried in my fucking chest maybe that's fair <laughs> enough i don't know but it's very fucking inconvenient i i did find that there was one particular drug combination that just made and i, I still don't know what it is but i drank some i drank like three little 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 bottles of like airplane wine mm-hmm. and like two mysterious tablets that the um, <laughs> flight attendant gave me for a headache and this shit had me feeling easy like it like all the all the problems of economy class flight where your your neck is in a weird fucking position to where you can't you can only ever lose consciousness for about five to seven minutes at a time and then you got to readjust because you're you're all twisted up even if you've got that little cheap dinky fucking poor person pillow that you you blow up and inflate and tie it around your neck like a noose even if you have that, you can't fucking sleep. But the combination of those uh, of the, those two drugs, whatever the fuck they were, thirteen hour flight. I slept for eight hours straight. Woke up, couldn't feel my legs. Not in a bad way, just my wow. legs weren't there. So I wasn't worried about the fact that they were just blood clotting and shit. They were just chilling. Watched a movie, landed, cool. 
I don't know what the fuck she gave me. I don't know if it was a fucking Xanax or, or if it was just regular Tylenol plus the altitude and alcohol. I, I don't know, but it felt phenomenal. And I just feel like if I can afford that plus an economy ticket, I don't need economy plus. I'm fine. I'm good. I will say that flying business class, I feel like is a, is a worthy upgrade. But like you say, it, simultaneously, I feel like it's only worth it for longer distances. I'm saying like a, like a, Oh, for like sure. Three yes. hour plus flight. And then it's also like, once you start hitting that territory, it becomes the price just ramps up considerably. So like, it's also like, is it worth it? You know what I mean? Like, I remember I was looking at flights to, I was looking at flights to South Africa and like, it was like mm-hmm. double the price if I wanted like some decent leg room. You know what I mean? That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Cause it, like for me, at least where like the way my economic and financial situation is set up, once you start talking about business class, economy plus first class, they're, they're, it's not like, okay, cool. If I skip a couple of meals and don't buy this extra thing, I can do it, which is, which when the the difference between like being able to go on an international trip and not, that's what it is right now. It's difference between like, okay, cool. I've got 500, but I need, I need 750 to get where I'm going. I can, I can, I can find that in my budget, but business class, if I'm trying to get to Tokyo business class, it's like, that's no longer $900. That's 2,500. So it's yeah. like, now this is, that's just becomes, it just becomes impossible. So it's not even really a question of you know, is it worth it or not? It's just, it's like, cool. I'm, I'm sure a yacht is totally worth it. I'm sure a mansion is totally worth it, but it's not part of my decision-making process. That's not why I don't live in a mansion. I, I wasn't like, oh, well, I could get a, you know, a one bedroom studio apartment or this one. I don't, uh, I'm not sure. It's kind of cozy. It's like, it, it, it's way beyond what the fuck I could ever goddamn afford. Gotcha. Gotcha. I would definitely, if they, if they came out, cause I saw one where it was like, a concept for a plane where they were trying to just, you could just tell they were like, they look at, at slave ship uh, arrangements and were like, I think there's something to this design aesthetic. I think we could do something here. And what the plane is, is this motherfucker doesn't have any seats. You stand up in the plane and it's got a little butt bar that you, that you lean against. So what usually would seat four people, they can sit like six or eight people. Right. Because you get rid of so much space and you just have people back to back to back. But if the flight was under. I'm saying under an hour, I do hour. Yeah. Under an hour, I would do that. If it was cheap enough and there was a little bit of maybe like walking room in the aisle that was that was, you know, like freed up in the arbitrage between how much space they saved from not having seats versus how many people they tried to sort of like get to capacity. I'd probably go up to two hours because you can get pretty far in two hours. You can you can get to. Yeah. I think you can get to like from from Melbourne. I think you can get to like New Zealand and shit. K- Kieran, is that right, or am I just am I am I bullshitting? How far how far away is Christchurch from from Melbourne? Uh, it's literally closer than a bunch of other Australian capitals. So how 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 long flight wise we talking? Uh, from Melbourne, you're probably talking like four hours, five hours maybe. Ah oh, shit. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, still kind of long. I'm not. I'm not trying to stand because I don't even want to stand up on public transit like that. I'm thinking like heavily traveled like flights, but like short ones in like, say like Northeastern United States. I'm saying like DC to New York. You're right. You're going from one city to another city within the same, within the same area, but it's just fast like that. Exactly. Like, like like, we want to go from Atlanta. We want to hit Miami real quick. Yeah. I like, I know, like I know lawyers who like frequently like, like like pre COVID, like two times, like two times a week would go from DC to New York. Or people who work for like the New York Fed, you know, for example, like they'd have to go, you know, between like those two places, like monthly. That whole shit is done because, man, we were living in a fucking golden age. Like the fact that I was able to travel internationally and and do it like in multiple situations and multiple times with relative ease. And it wasn't like some, you know, saving up for a long period of life in order to get there. It's just like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, a, you know, I cut my budget for a month by half and then like, boom, I can just go to the other side of the planet. Like that's that seems like very much a privilege of 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 a modern economy and economies of scale and shit that's just gonna maybe evaporate after this i mean it might come back i don't know because because the economy seems to be real good or at least the western economy seems to be real good at providing these like even as we experience these real big fucking grows in the gap between the most wealthy and the least wealthy and within the Western world, I'm not even talking about the like Jeff Bezos versus a poor person in fucking South Sudan. I'm not, I'm not talking about that, yeah. but just the yeah. difference between a Jeff Bezos or fuck whoever, a fucking Mark Zuckerberg and yourself, like within that they've been able to provide, and maybe that's, 
yeah, they, they've been able to provide a level of like convenience and luxury and comfort to what the, the average person will experience that's like fucking astronomical. Like, yeah, sure, your, your buying power or like your relative wealth or relative to someone else has, has decreased, but the average lower middle class person can afford to have five of their meals weekly delivered directly to their home, order, you know, consumer goods straight to their house, travel internationally two to three times a year. Like these are all things that are, that are readily available to us. That's some, some astronomical shit, considering that those things would have been in the privilege of only the most wealthy. But, but some of that shit might just fucking evaporate. I, I don't know. But I mean, I've, I've often said that a lot of times you get people who take two sociology classes and say that like capitalism is like the worst thing in the universe. But if you look at it historically, capitalism has created like mammoth, mammoth, mammoth wealth inequity in, in people who've like double in like places where it's been doubled down upon. But if you look at that historically, it's also to the point that you're making, it's raised the floor considerably. And I don't think enough um, talk has been made by like these like, um, liberal arts types of which both of us are, are that type <laughs> to, to an extent. So I'm not, so I'm not being holier than that. I don't know. I said, the, I, I don't said know. These I, we don't, we don't fall within that. We fall within the, the, but we're begrudging liberal arts types. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's the, that's the, the sense that I get. And maybe you even fall even more into that category where it's like, we're, you know, we're, we're like liberals, not leftists almost. I'm not, I, I don't want to get tied down to a label or anything like that. Cause I really don't even know what the fuck I think about a lot of stuff, but I think there's like a, a small subset of folks who traditionally would have been considered a progressives, but are like, uh, I, I'm not so sure what's, uh, about what some of y'all are, are saying right now, that, that kind of thing. I mean, if you, if you like, look at like, everything has just been, been the United States anyway, everything is really drifted right. You think so? Yeah. I quote this all the time, man. You ever read, um, or you should read, um, cause I know you only read comments on YouTube sections now, but, um, um, yeah, I, I read, I read the, 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 the subtitles on TikToks as well. So, you know, don't, don't get uppity about it. <laughs> no, but like the agenda by Bob Woodward. Okay. It's, uh, um, it's about the first Clinton administration. So Bill Clinton, you know, he wins the 92 election, you know, crushes it in like these, you know, places that you probably wouldn't expect anybody to crush it anymore. Like back when Georgia was purple and all that shit. Um, Makes his address in front of Congress in 93. People are booing him. He gets up there cool as a cucumber, just says, like, everybody, wait, wait, wait. You realize there are no Democrats here, right? He's like, there are no Democrats here. He was like, we have Reagan Republicans and we have Eisenhower Republicans. Everybody here is a Republican. And, like, if you look at, like, the policies of the United States, everybody's fucking drifted right. Like, a lot of people who are Democrats now would have literally been Republicans in the Eisenhower era based on like literal like policy decisions. So like that's something to think about. Okay. So, so, so how does that then weigh in, in terms, because I, I think what you were, or what the fuck I was talking about is that there seems to be, I don't know that there's like some sort of a weird shifting political landscape, not, not necessarily at the level of policy, but at the level of the everyday conversation, which we've dived headfirst into, you know, Dinner table conversation has changed essentially. So we've died, I don't think died it has. head first into. I really don't think it has. You don't, I, I, as someone sitting at dinner tables, I will say it absolutely has. No, but 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 that's your dinner table. That is true. Okay, yeah, okay. That, no, that, that's fair. Let me let, let me say this out, but you might be right. On the within the dinner tables that I have been at, and we can and that dinner table could represent actual dinner parties it could represent youtube uh videos it could be whatever subreddits you follow instagrams that you follow people that you know the conversations around uh criticism of capitalism um uh, let's say marxist-ish ideology and then of course identity politics has increased dramatically and the the strictness with which they've sort of coalesced into like a a, a rhetoric has increased now i don't know if that if that's representative of anything at large that's representative of changes uh, in society in general, or just the, the 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 sort of like concentration of each individual pocket. But I get the sense that like what you said about that, where liberal arts types is is commenting in part on the fact that that as as an archetype seems to have increased. I mean, maybe maybe not if you really look historically about you know academics in the sixties and seventies. But I think there is a sense yeah. that 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 academic thought that would have started in the sixties and seventies 
in the college campuses has become accessible and repeatable outside of that context to where we are having conversations about eat the rich, billionaires shouldn't exist, Black Lives Matter, Me Too movement, trans rights, gay rights in, a, in, a, in an open way that we were not before and with a level of vitriol in the right word, but like a level of, of impatience, I'll say, that was not there before as far as I could tell. But what's, so, what, what's your thinking? I, I disagree with all, I disagree with all of that. So the one, <laughs> so working backwards. Let's so the go. one thing is like, there's this idea that like in the past, like there wasn't a sense of urgency, like, and this goes into something that I often battle back, battle back on where like people don't know the real MLK. I often say that's bullshit because the real MLK was very much voiced in like my, my fucking AP world history book that a black person didn't write. So I didn't have to go to my, absolutely. You know, yeah. So like, so like, I feel like you, you could know about the real MLK if you cared to know about the real MLK, but MLK was very much radical in the fact that he wanted that shit to happen. Now he didn't want that shit to happen two decades from now. He was like, right now, like if you go and read actual speeches and comments from him, the immediacy of what he wanted was always present. So nonviolent society, he was, he was not for incremental change. So that's something that at least in the civil rights movement born out of the sixties, you saw that same level of shit that you saw. Now, what I will say in terms of the voices now is that pay attention to a, the fact that social media circles are echo chambers. They're, they're self curated like links and suggestions. And like, you get caught up in this shit where like, you're literally just like feeding your own. It's confirmation bias almost in a sense. No, no. Yeah. I know there's some element of that for sure. Cause you look for the things that you either agree with or you you seek out the things that you can disagree with in a way that, that reconfirms your own, own viewpoint. Like, see, look at what these people are always doing. And you, and so you get, yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. Sure. And then also, and then also there's a small, a small element. I don't think it's um, the majority by any sense of, of, of the word, but there's also the point of virtue signaling even within that. But that virtue signaling also comes from the fact that on some level it's just the voices that we have amplified. For example, like I say this all the time that a lot of times the voices that we get that get amplified are just the ones that are the loudest, not necessarily the ones that are representative of what the, the average person thinks. And you can see that very much in black politics. So for example, in, in the city of Atlanta, every single mayoral candidate that has won the seat, um, at least since the time of Bill Campbell. So that would be, you know, mid to mid to mid nineties has ran on a law and order platform. So if you look on, if you look on Twitter, right now and you look at like the harris biden ticket and they're like oh my god mm-hmm. i can't believe that all of the that you'd vote for biden and his history and the 94 crime bill and all that shit you know it resonates really well with the consistent black voting base being tough on fucking crime because in the 90s when this shit in the late 80s and 90s when this shit was a bloodbath mm. the 94 crime bill had substantial black support so like a lot of times you Fair. get these like these young people who get these voices amplified, that's not representative necessarily of what the masses think See, all the time. It's just I, like, we're all I, in this echo chamber and we think that's what everybody's talking about because that's no, what no, everybody's I, talking about on our curated timelines. I agree in part, because again, I don't know what the fuck all this, the, the, like, I don't have, I, I don't and can never have a proper cross section of what everybody is saying. So I can only really ever see my own, like even, even my own timeline, as much as I maybe seek out varied opinions, I'm still only seeing so- something that the, the algorithm is feeding or the algorithms are feeding me. But I agree that what we see is a representative of what's going on. And we actually talked about this last week that we, we're all getting this individualized feed. And that's why we get the the real scary Cambridge Analytica situations where everybody says it's going to go one way and secretly it was going a whole other kind of way. That's a whole different. That's a whole different thing because because that that race was well within the margin of error. But um, go ahead. Okay, sure, sure. Yeah, that that I mean but, that race was in the but, margin but, but of surely. error. It was just like it was it was a, it was a ju- it was a judgment call and statisticians because uh-huh. status stat, stats is an art. So they made they made judgment calls in a few key states. And it was just that, and, that it, race and you think it was just a. So you think it was just a clean mistake as opposed to a big statistical error or like narrative error where we're we're looking at the wrong thing while the truth sort of bubbles below the surface outside of the per, the, the 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 view of our filter bubble. You don't think it's anything that magical. It's just yeah, look, three no. percent margin of error. They won by two percent. That's it. Yeah, that's that's li- that's literally what it was. <laughs> like, and then what happens was nobody nobody wanted to get on the air and say. Like, like 538 yeah, doesn't a, get clicks if they say this is too close to call. They don't get clicks. 
Nate Silver isn't on CNN saying that shit. Sure, nobody would give a fuck. But then my question is just, surely something's different, man. Something feels different. Oh, so, stuff is different. Stuff is different. And so, so what is different? Because surely okay, 2008 so. conversations, jokes, culture, all of that have changed. And, and I'll say change always happens. But the difference between mm-hmm. 2010 and 2020 is more significant than the difference between 2010 and 2000. In, ter- in, in terms of now, obviously, there's lots of other events around, you know, yeah. Islamophobia and 9-11 that happened. But but take that out Big facts. in yeah. terms of the identity, the identity politics, the um, the criticism of capitalism, all of that change between 2000, 2010 over that decade, semi semi stable versus 2010 to 2020, where it's like Ellen's getting canceled. Kevin Hart's getting canceled. Lou, every, every, everybody's getting canceled. And, and, and not just loud voices, right? Because sure, MLK was saying this shit, but the stuff that got echoed was the most moderate version of that and the implementation of, of the dream that he really, really had of like economic empowerment through social, socialist type policies. None of that shit ever fucking happened and wasn't going to fucking happen. Whereas now- It's still not going to happen. It's like- No, like, no it's, still, it's still not going to happen. But people are 100% losing their fucking jobs. There, there, there is real and serious impact on people of power that is regulating their behavior in a way that would never have happened in 2010. The, the pe- nothing, people, nothing, nothing is happening to anybody in power. You telling me R. Kelly? You telling me uh, Louis C.K.? You telling me Kevin Spacey that these aren't people of power? That, that, if it, that in 2010 would have been functionally untouchable across these issues? Ellen DeGeneres? Bro, bro, you just... Okay, so... And then if we're getting into that, what you call it, you just named four people in the power structure of Hollywood, the amount of people that are blatantly misogynistic at best, you know what I'm saying? That's like, that's like a high watermark for a lot of Hollywood. We're not even getting into the, like the sexual assault and like shit of that nature. You named four people. I could name 20. I picked four. Name 10. Okay. Name 10 power players uh, in Hollywood. Name okay. 10 power players in Hollywood. Okay. They had a real reckoning. Louis C.K. is performing again, by the way. I just want to put that out there. Louis C.K.'s career okay, ain't yeah, even no, look, look. <laughs> Bro, this is, it's, order, it, it, it's, it's a spectrum. I'm not saying that they're done ended. I'm saying that they've had real serious impact that, that has re-regulated their behavior in a way that would not have happened in 2010. That did Louis not C. happen in 2000. Louis C.K. is doing anti-cancel culture like fucking stand-up to applause. His bank, his his bank account ain't flinched. His bank account flinched by about forty million, and it would have flinched by zero if if that shit had had tried to happen in twenty ten. So let me so let me let me list power players: Weinstein, uh, Epstein, uh, Chris D'elia, uh, Brian Callen, uh, Aziz Ansari. Uh, Aziz, Aziz didn't get in any generous. trouble. That was one New York. That was one New York piece. He was performing the same year. His his special didn't even get pulled. His whole show got canceled. Master of None was going to get canceled anyway. Arguable, sure, but he fucking disappeared for a for a again a spectrum. Like I'm not saying you're 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 measuring it against all of what could happen. I'm measuring it against what would have happened in the past. In the past, none of that would have happened. Surely you're not going to argue that 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 the impact that it has had on those 10, 15, 20 less they are powerful people. Maybe they're not the top level of the of the shit, but they are powerful people that in the past would have not would have experienced zero repercussions. Bill Cosby, uh fucking R. Kelly, all of those. Well, shit, uh well, old, old boy James Gunn from Suicide Squad. Who who who's now direct who's now but no, but think about but even think about James Gunn. Think about yeah, that. I, I know I know what you're gonna say. He's he's directed Suicide Squad, but he he yeah. but that <laughs> But he had to step. He had to step down. Guardians of the Galaxy wasn't going to happen, and then he had to come back. Twenty ten, it would have kept. It would have kept rolling. There would have been no stoppage. That that is an impact. I'm not. I'm not arguing that it couldn't be more. I'm saying it is more than it was. No, is but here's my here was my initial point. That was kind of an aside, and I think that that's just like. I think ultimately our our differences on that one are ideological. So I'm not more right than you. I, I can concede that. But where I was going was that none of those people move the needle in terms of superstructure. Nobody with superstructural power to actually move the needle on capitalism has had any sort of reckoning whatsoever in this whole situation. And they're probably not going to. No, look, that's that, that's fair. I'm, I'm probably making less of an argument about capitalism as a that that is beyond what I feel like I can really talk about or really even have any dinner, real dinner table conversation about. 
So I'm so I'm I'm, re I'm really not gonna try to make an argument about that capitalism is under threat because of the the conversations that are being had on liberal arts campuses. I, I, that's not an argument I'm trying to make. Fair enough. It's 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 mostly around identity politics. I'll say identity politics and 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 let's say our dynamics of 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 racial gender and orientation nature that have shifted significantly. That there are things that. People who have been in traditionally powerful demographics, let's say straight, white, cis, male, whatever it is, that they cannot move with a level of freedom that they and, and, and impunity that they did in the past. I'm not making the capitalism argument, but there is shit that, that, that does not fly and that cannot be gotten away with that to me seems like a significant, significant fucking difference from what there was in the past. And I don't know what the nature of that is. So maybe you're arguing that, you know, the dinner table conversation hasn't happened or the, the structures at large haven't. Surely it's a significant fucking change. Surely it's a spike. Or, or are you just saying that this is just straight up availability, you know, uh, heuristic, you know, this is just what I'm seeing. And it's not actually the reality. And the 20, I could probably list 50 if you gave me if you gave me Google real quick. People who have been impacted in a real serious way that feels like is unique to our times. Is that an illusion or is something changed? Okay. Yeah. I, I feel, I feel like that's a lot of just what gets pumped up by the media. I feel like that's, I feel like that's what sells. And I feel like that's within our echo chamber as people who, mm. regardless of where we see ourselves, we're a part of that circle. Our net, our networks are inexplicably intertwined with that kind of circle, that liberal, that liberal arts kind of like mentality kind of thing. I consider myself just left of center. I know, I know exactly where my political leanings are, um, both, both socially and fiscally. I also, um, need to get out of the habit of saying that because they're inextricably linked in and of themselves. So I'm trying to not be that guy anymore, but anyway, so I know exactly where my oh, political yeah, I've leanings seen, are. I've seen, I've seen some, some, some criticism of the social versus fiscal thing of like, you know, I like the idea of poor people, but I don't want to see them or some version yeah, of you, that. Yeah. You, you, li you literally can't, can't separate those two things. And like, there was a point where I thought you could. And the older I get, I realized that the more you can't, but anyway, so I know exactly where I fall, but regardless of where we see ourselves, we're in that circle. Like a lot of our, like, so are you what saying we attract, what we're around we just... our networks are within that. Like, even, even if you sure, name, even sure. if you could name a thousand, even if like the, the power structure of the world is not going to be moved because a thousand people have a reckoning unless that, unless those thousand people are like the thousand billionaires or what the fuck ever. I think it's more, I think it's more like what, like 350 billionaires in the States or some shit like that. Okay. So, so my question is then I do realize things have to start somewhere. Yeah. Not only does it have to start somewhere, but it, it surely it started past tense somewhere because it seems like the, the, the end result of the argument you're making is that we're in the same place we've always been. And there has never been any change in the relationship no, between no. My, between various levels of power in society. I mean, are we no. arguing that the Me Too movement hasn't done anything? Like, what's what? what no, what are we here's, doing right here's now? my here's my point. Here's my here's my point, and I and I and I agree that like I haven't done a very good job of articulating what my actual point is thus far. My point is that these things ebb and flow, and in order for things to sustainably change, it has to not be an ebb and flows type situation. And there have been various points throughout history where something wasn't an ebb and flow where something just like fucking happened and steamrolled and it just like tore some shit apart. That shit has happened pretty frequently throughout the course of like Western history. Like, so like, don't get it twisted. These things can happen. And I'm not saying that this can't spiral into something that becomes a more sustained change. I just don't think it has it. I think right now we're at the point where I'm trying to see whether or not this is an ebb and flow thing or whether this, or not this it's is a pendulum swing and it's not. Uh, okay. Got you. No. Okay. I, yeah. I, I feel you there. So then what does, when, when do we know? Or I mean, fuck, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I'm just wondering because it, it seems like, sure. I, I could totally see the pendulum swinging back the other way, but it's definitely swinging in, in, in that other direction because I'm, I mean, like, so I've, I've walked into spaces. So I, I exist kind of within the arts space here in, in Australia and in Melbourne. And I've walked into arts events where they literally have, um, so, 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 uh, Jordan Peterson was in an argument with, um, uh, Michael Eric Dyson. They, they had a, mm -hmm. they had a debate. And during this debate, Jordan Peterson, if you're familiar with it, he's, he's, a, he's, I think we mentioned before, he's a, he's a, a clinical psychologist and, or psychiatrist, I don't know, which, whichever one. And he's gotten famous for sort of stepping into the arena of 
how do we arrange society? How do we arrange the individual? And where do, where does, let's say, the concepts by which we arrange our society and the relationship that we, the, the sort of narrative that we weave about what the relationship between society and individual is. And so obviously the spear point of that in the modern conversation is identity politics, which is, is every single inequality between individuals best explained through systematic uh, failings? Right. Is the reason that women or black people or gay people experience this thing or that thing in their individual lives best explained by um, by inequalities or unfair policy or practices or structure at the institutional level? You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's the question. And so he put forward, well, how do we fix that? How, how do we fix that in a way that makes sense that can be turned into policy? Let's say that there is such a thing as white privilege. And let's say that I do, in fact, experience it. What are we to do about that as a society? Right. As a, sure, we're mad about it. What are, what are we meant to do? Perhaps there's a tax. If you could quantify the privilege that my whiteness gives me, is there a tax that you could apply and say, here is 15 percent. This is what we take away for your white. And his argument was meant to attempt to take down the concept or, or, or to, to rebuttal the concept of white privilege or, or at least its usefulness in a public conversation. I don't agree with with, with his stance there, but I've been to. I've been to events, and I, yeah, I agree with a lot of shit that he says, but I think he loses me when it comes to a lot of the identity politics arguments that he makes that just seemed poorly fleshed out. But anyway, I've been to events where they literally have a white tax. It's not called that, but it's, it functions as the same thing. And it's, it's by an honor system and things like that. So, so what it looks like is you go into an event and it says price, and the price will be if you are neurodiverse, uh, ethnically diverse, um differently abled um a member of the queer community uh Torres Strait Islander First Nations blah 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 price is this if you would consider yourself not any of these things meaning white cis male blah 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 price is that plus $15 this is a suggestion if you would like to do so and so it's a it's a voluntary sort of opt in white tax and I looked at that and I thought, well, this is really fucking interesting. Part of me likes this. Part of me is terrified by this. I don't quite know. And, and I'm not sure what I feel about that kind of thing, because I'm like, I, 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 some, something about it is, is interesting, especially considering that it's voluntary. And especially considering the fact that in the, in the arts, for sure, I think something that we all know is that a lot of the arts are... I'll say it like this, built on black bodies, funded by white dollars a lot of times. So it's, it's black mm-hmm. folks or people in some sort of marginalized community creating the paintings, the films, the, the music, the lingo, all the shit that is cool. Meanwhile, white professionals who are middle class, who have time and money are the ones who go to the plays and go to the concerts and send their children to the, to the rap concerts and send their children to, to you know, you know, whatever to, to the conventions or whatever. And yeah. so if those white dollars didn't exist, our events wouldn't happen anyway. So you can, you can have the blackest wall to wall, black African cultural event, da, 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 da. If you were to look at the, at the, at the budget sheet of their ticket sales in terms of tickets sold, glasses of wine sold, food sold, and broke that down in dollars, white folks would be contributing way more money f- per their attendance, and if they were to disappear, a lot of these events couldn't exist. So a white tax kind of already exists. So it's like, all right, well, cool. If, if, we, if we say, hey, look, white folks, y'all know what y'all's role in this is, or rich people, y'all, you know what your role in this is, pay a little bit more forward because you're in a position of privilege to do so. Let's see if we can even it out a little bit. That seems a little bit fair to me, but I also see just going in a really dark direction as well that could become very, very dangerous and, and that could spill over to where it starts just impacting everybody in some terrifying way. Do you, do you know what I mean? Or what I'm, what I'm, what I'm yeah. articulating I'm fearful about? Yeah. No, I completely understand what you're fearful about. But I would like to circle that around, like just to bring okay. that full circle, is that one, you're saying that within the art community, the art community typically is more liberal than society as a whole. Almost always. 100%. 100%. So, and two, that's also not a new concept. Like the, okay, like the whole it. concept of having like a white tax within like, within like an event space or even just as society as a whole, that's not a new concept. I'm pretty sure you could find at least the precursor to that going back as far as the seventies. If I recall correctly, which somebody please fact check me. Not scientifically possible. 
ain't nobody gonna fact check you we don't do shit like that on here we just, bro i said i said you can't get gonorrhea if you put dick tape on duct tape on your dick hole we there's nobody here to check check any fucking thing <laughs> But I, but I will say, actually, that probably is true. I don't know. Anyway, moving on. I, I will say, uh, I know Karen, Karen is mad as fuck in the background. He's like, that's not, <laughs> that's bad science. Um, I will say, sure, maybe it has happened, but that's not, that, that, that doesn't mean anything. Has happened somewhere yeah. at some place at some point in time is not that ain't any kind of argument. The event that I'm talking about was a government sponsored one. It was, it was part of like Maribyrnong City Council. So it was funded in part by government dollars. The, so the government sanctioned a graphic artist to write that out, get that approved, and put that in place. And I've seen that kind of language in, in many, many other arts spaces that I've been at that have had high-level public or, you know, funding from lots of different areas. So it's not some little, you know, art, pop-up arts thing. It's you know, a, a member of city council Ooh, is approving I am, sections. Of this I am rhetoric. willing to bet money. Okay. I am willing to bet. Okay. So can I take you down a rabbit hole? Okay, go. Let's, let's go. Okay. And I don't need, I don't need that long. So this, this is the crooks of what, this is the, like the, like the backdrop of what I'm going to, what I'm going to say in regards to what you just said. So if you look at all of these things saying like how bad the United States does, um, vis-a-vis, are competitor nations, like nations that are roughly the same level of development as we are in terms of health outcomes, we lag behind. You see that, right? We're, tip- we're typically going to be just above like some developing nations. We lag way behind within the developed nations that would be considered our, our peers. Yeah, yeah, like well behind. Like if you look at like an overall metric of like our like healthcare and like healthcare at not healthcare, but like health as like a, a population, we'd be like, what, like rank, like, like 25th in the world or something like there are developed countries ahead of us, for example. Yes. Um, I mean, the, the, there are developing countries ahead of us, basically yeah. every developed Develop, country is yeah. ahead of us. So my logic around that is the fact that a lot of our competitor nations don't have the people of color population that that the united states have so if you were so i don't and i don't know if the work has been done on that i I, i've been meaning to look at it but say for example if you take out the 40 plus million people of you know black people that you have in the united states and then you recalculate Mm -hmm. our um infant mortality rate or our maternal like you know um death rate what does it look like then we're going going somewhere all right i want to i want to know where this this shit is going all right so 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 like so so like so like the so like yeah, so like, so like, like a lot of the studies for black people, where we first saw exactly how like bad health outcomes are for black people, actually mm-hmm. came out of Britain. They came from the Whitehall studies that Miramont did, because um, they had immaculate um, healthcare records, because they had British civil service. So a lot of the initial studies that showed us exactly how bad shit was for people of African descent in the Western world came out of you know initially out of these Whitehall studies in Britain, but. Their health outcomes, in my opinion, look a lot better than ours. Perhaps, again, I have not done the math on this, because their black population is very fucking small. So I wonder okay. if you have like if you have like the same pure number of black identifying people or um, you know, Hispanic Latino identifying people, which also lag behind greatly to um non-white, I mean um, you know, European, you know, descent people. Mm-hmm. What would the other Western developed nations healthcare outcomes look like? So I think that like a lot of it is just like so. If you equalize and just compared of, like white versus white, what would that look like? Exactly. And I don't okay. know if that if that research has been done. I I imagine that it has because I can't believe that that's not like a brilliant deduction or anything. Or whether or not no. they. And I mean, I feel like the the number of conversations that have been had around not just specifically like negative health outcomes for American people in general, but you know the whole misogynoir treatment of black women and you know their pain not all, all that kind of shit that i've heard over and over again seems like it's not that far of a jump to go well where are we really but but to be fair like a lot of stuff in terms of um health outcomes with black people in the state specific because again a lot of people just rely on the Merrimont studies is fairly new in terms of the history of public health this is stuff that was emerging in terms of like it's stuff that people kind of knew just like anecdotally but stuff that like they actually have real numbers about it, stuff that maybe happened in like the past like 30, 35 years, you know, like this stuff in, in the context of the United States. But so 
with that being said, I think that a lot of times you get events like that happening in other places because there's so much more white dominant. You know what I mean? Like, like, like I can, I, I can have this, I can have this white tax thing because like, there's only like 2% of people that aren't white. So everybody's just fucking white. So it's like, it's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if there's a white tax at an event, everybody's fucking white. I'm just charging, okay. I'm just charging my general population more. So it's like, it's like, you don't have to have the same level of foresight and like fault in regards to how different peoples are going to be treated or charged in that situation, because you don't have a sizable population of another group. And it's like, for example, I bet you. So the reason why you can't do what you just said in the United States is government sponsored. That's government sponsored is because that's literally a constitutional violation that literally violates the constitution. So if anybody care, they could sue the fuck out of that, like art gallery, if they like, I mean that city council event, you know, and, 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 and take them through the cleaners. I would guarantee, mm. I would almost guarantee that something to that effect exists has happened in other countries. Yeah. Like, See. like, cause you, you literally can't do that. Like that's, that's why like, um, the state of Georgia can't take into consideration race for college applications. Like you can't, like you can't have like differential stuff like that based on like constitutional like kind of stuff. So like, but at the same time, does that really matter when you're in a place that doesn't have 40 million Negroes? Well, see, th that almost seems like it would be the opposite for me because, oh, fuck. Mm. yeah, if, if, you have to fill out, fill out this, this idea for me because I'm thinking in the place like Australia, even in, in Melbourne, which is, I'll, I'll say it's very diverse. So I don't know that something like this would be done in Perth or Brisbane because I don't think that there would be enough push for it to be. You know what I mean? I don't think that there would be even enough pressure or enough people to, to really do anything, to, to, to really even push it forward. Because like in, in Melbourne, there's so many queer, non-white, non-whatever, like non, let's say white is a catch-all term for privileged. There's so many non-white artists that have increasing levels of power that it's like in order to really pull off something you need some level of 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 involvement there you know not to say that there aren't all lots of lots and lots of all white events and there there are the, the majority would be but there's there's influence there that doesn't exist in other cities and i would have to think the larger that white population gets the more likely they are to protest you know because it's you can, I, you can I, consider it a, a white tax or you can consider it a a non-white discount whichever way you want to do it but what, what you're basically saying is that the bur the burden of financing a particular area of society is tied to a privilege in the same way that it, we tie it to say income but we go instead of saying you're, you need to pay a percentage of your income for this ticket we're we're using your your race or your your demographic as a placeholder to guess at what your standing in society is therefore you should pay x y and z more if you should want to but even so, if we, let's say we take it to the stream and you must if you want admission to this event well okay so that seems like you another layer would be like you know like making it like a volunteer like if you if you want to that's kind of a thing that like makes it I, in my opinion in my imagination i think that probably gets oh, yeah, around absolutely. any constitutional hurdles. They, 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 but, they, which is which is why I'm sh I'm sure there's similar laws here. Maybe I mean there's because I've I've seen lots of you know you you can tell that they're quoting shit. You know what I mean? But but yeah. they're but they're leaving the quota the the quoting behavior unwritten. You see what I'm saying? They're, they're, so so uh -huh. they, they ask people's race. They read the the descriptions of events and they go, "Cool, we only have." three african diaspora events at this at this event we need to add one more they never write that down anywhere i'm sure you know they never put that in the yeah. application but they do know if if you're an artist they do know oh he's gay oh he's trans oh he's a Torres Strait islander oh he's first nations oh he's african descending oh he's deaf oh he's uh neuroatypical they do know that because those are questions that are asked you know oh he's male he's female they they those questions are asked so they have the information necessary to make those kinds of biased judgments though of course they wouldn't probably hide that behavior so that it can never be oh yeah i'm assuming they're probably similar ish protections to what you just described with the states so like but my but my thing would be this my thing would be this let's let's go somewhere where you have a high black population and the black population is doing fairly well and the black po population is fairly engaged in art so i'm thinking Okay. Not necessarily Atlanta. I'm saying DC. I feel like DC Atlanta, has okay, a cool DC. I, 
I think Atlanta's good, but I hate. I just I just always go to Atlanta. So let's like step out of my like okay. out of my yeah, comfort zone cool. a little bit. I mean, if let's, you, go to, let's go to DC. You just, you just said yeah, you said like, black black dominated city that where with high levels of success. It's like that is like that is the number one answer. Well, technically, technically, like DC is up there. Like DC, the average um, income of black people is is higher, but it kind of balances oh, okay. out because like it costs so much more to live. Like um, median median income okay, is true. higher, but like average like home like home prices are way higher and like rent is higher. So what's it the, and what's out. the spread like? Because I have to imagine like is it is it like some hyper wealthy black folks who are who are bringing that spike up, or is it a similar distribution of what Atlanta is like? Because Atlanta, I imagine, is a very is very utopian, not just because of the height that uh of success that some black people do get to but the the sort of width of economic comfort you know that there are people well, actually, who are in that lower middle class that are just chilling you know well actually i mean well one that's why you, that's one of the reasons why you compare medians to median when you're when you're doing that because they're less they're less influenced by outliers but also sure. it, atlanta also has like within the black community within Atlanta, you have like the worst income disparity in like the country for like at least the past five years like it has been like the worst for economic disparity within the black community um, with, of any major city in the States. Like it, it scores horribly in that regard. So there, there are really high peaks and really low lows um, in Atlanta. So to your point, but, um, I did not know that fucking trouble, trouble in Wakanda. Yeah. That was actually one of the big things that people, um, criticized Killer Mike and T.I. when they made their, when they what made their that? Atlanta is Wakanda speech speeches, you know, just like they I discount mean, but, all of the but, issues uh, within I, the city. Well, well, one, we're going to have to talk about this real quick anyway, but Atlanta is Wakanda implies that Wakanda is utopian, which I always thought was lazy writing that needed to be done away with if we were going to if we were going to have have the movies. I made that point on Twitter right after people were mad that they called Atlanta Wakanda. Wakanda is not is not devoid of strife. Like if you read like and it shouldn't be like what a what a silly. I don't know. I, I think I think writing it as perfect flawless utopia sure you can write it as as utopian but to f- write it as a flawless utopia is to turn the whole concept of like black achievement into hyper fantasy and i think that that yeah. that that in and of itself does it a disservice to where it's like you walk into wakanda and you there's no sense that this is a real place that has the flaws of a society that's been existing in secret for millennia surely it would surely there are drug problems or at least or at the very least a solution to it there was I mean, income dis- there that- was income disparity in wakanda they were rising against the of ruling course. class in one of the arcs and t'challa couldn't fucking handle that shit like he was like i'm failing as a king like that like that's an arc that's what it is. I mean, it's not. I think the Wakanda bit is that there's a lot of black people doing real well. But also, R.I.P. Chadwick. That is some wild shit. I don't know what the like. I had no idea that he was sick this whole time. So I'm just you know just saying my condolences while I got a chance. That is some some wild and fuck yeah. I don't know what the what the future will, uh, of that whole thing will be. And it's a little bit difficult to to make the right commentary about a person like that when they die because as a civilian, your only real, more at least my only real connection to him is through his work. So it's like, am I grieving him or am I grieving his work? You know, like you 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 kind of go, oh fuck that sucks, and then you kind of look at your watch and go, damn. So no Black Panther too. And I realize that's that's a macabre statement, but I just have to imagine that that's what almost everyone because none of us know the man or really even saw his heart we mostly just saw his performances and that's why it's even newsworthy so i guess i don't know if it's callous maybe but i'm just it just seems like it seems difficult to give genuine grief i think you ultimately would like to believe that you learn a little bit about somebody through their work i yeah no i would agree i would agree and then it's like it's like like I, like I remember, so, you know, I'm, you know, there are a few celebrity deaths that have like shook me. Chadwick gave, uh, that was, a, that was a moment for me this morning. I kind of shook it off. Kobe, I was upset for days. Um, and when Robin Williams died, I was, I was upset for a week. So, so, so Ch- Chadwick was like le- less of a significant one, but Kobe and Robin Williams, those, those hit you. Yeah. Kobe and Robin Williams, like, re- like really fucking hit me because I don't, because I don't think. Like I, I literally stayed up one night real late and I watched fucking Goodwill Hunting and I literally woke up and like <sighs> my life trajectory changed. Like I'm not like not flexing at all. Like that's that's literally some shit that happened. Oh, oh, like, oh you're saying back in the day when you watched Goodwill Hunting, that put you on a different path. That literally put me on a different path. I li- I literally I literally like stayed up. Movies do that shit one hundred percent. 
So it's like, like so it's they, like I, I feel I, like I don't, I don't think that's a flex at all. I think yeah, people discount that shit where it's like oh, it's fantasy. Or do you you ever watch a movie and you walk out and you're you realize you're copying the main character's personality for the next week and a half? It's like. Nah, man, my, my personality is a, is probably a combination of several movie characters that I watched over my life, and that shit stuck permanently in my life is what it is because I experienced Goodwill Hunting or whatever movie it is. And then you go, oh, I, I can do this with life. I remember you telling me what, that. What, I, actually remember, I actually remember you telling me how Whiplash Life changed shit for you. I'd rather die drunk, broke at 34, and have people at a dinner table talk about me than live to be rich and sober at 90 and nobody remember who I was bruh yeah oh shit i forgot yeah that was recently yeah and like i don't know if you from knowing me before i watched the movie and after if you saw if you could sort of observe a a, a slight shift in trajectory or, or the or a, a riskiness of decisions that that came after that but yeah that motherfucker did something for sure so what, so, what, what was the, the changes for you with goodwill i i literally said i wasn't going to medical school what value change that you saw like what was the story in your head that was going on there because it was it was literally like this guy that was told that he was supposed to do something based on the fact that he could and he said fuck mm. it i'm going to do what i want to do and it was the fact that robin williams literally like guided him through that to make him feel comfortable with the decision to do what his heart really told him to do cuz i didn't want to be a doctor i just didn't know what else to do like i had i had been so, i had been on a defined path of being a doctor for years and like to wake up and just be like i really don't want to do this shit so I'm going to like, and I, had to, okay. I had to be comfortable. Yeah. I had to be okay with leaving such a defined path and like literally watching that movie. I was like, this would be okay. Like this, like this would be okay. And like, but I feel mm. like a lot of people watch artists work and they have those kind of moments. And it's like, you can't help, but feel like a connection with them. And I feel like a lot of yes. people, even if it was for larger reasons, other than like the work itself had like such a connection to Chadwick's work. I feel you. Yeah. You know what? That's a, that's a good point. I guess then my, my question is one, is that a valid form of grief? And two, how do we express that? Because the person and the person's work are separate. So, so, so let me put this in more concrete terms. Robin Williams dies and you realize there will be no Aladdin animated, you know, sequel. There will be no more work. And it seems like that might be one large motivating factor because you, 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 you were never going to have dinner again with him. Cause you never, you never had it and you never were going to. So that's not something you're missing out. It seems like a lot of the grief is for the missed potential. Maybe I'm wrong there. And I know it's that's something that a lot of people are thinking about, but maybe for you and in the point that you're making, what's being missed is not the potential for life-changing work of the kind that you experienced previously, but literally just the loss of the person who gave you that. It was, it was literally like I watched Robin Williams movies and I was like, I was like a person that like, that for me deserves like the best things in the world. I know that's like being like really simplistic and being, and being really like, but like, but, but no, like seriously, like that's how I felt. I was like, wow, this guy gave me that. I want everything. I want all the best things in the world for him because he, because he helped me be comfortable with that. Even if, even if he can't take full credit for that or any of that, I mean, here's how I would put it. Like once we start trying to do calculations about who deserves what or who deserves which type of compassion, I think it gets real messy because all we ever really have access to is whoever's in front of us. And sure, that can turn dangerous because, you know, Robin Williams is in a position of privilege and this and that to where millions of people can feel that way about him. And he gets he got certain perks for that. But. Shit, I mean, if you want if you want to make the argument of who deserves to get what based on what experience they gave you or what you share with them and this and that, then you start to say, well, OK, well, yeah, this is my child. But are there any more worthy of my uh, of being raised by me than any other random child? I think you just. You make the decisions about where your love goes and where your compassion goes based on who happens to be in the same room with you. And that's all life is, is just a series of those, those, those meetings. So, you know, you met him via the screen for sure, decided that there was a connection, decided that there was some compassion to be given there and that that person deserves the best in the world. I don't think there's any wrong reason to, to feel that way. Fair enough. All right. Well, look, man, I think, I think let's go ahead and, and draw this to a close. Um, you know. Rest in peace, Chadwick, for all of the the all of the shit that he gave to literally millions of fucking people. I, I I will say this, man. Black Panther, and I know it I know it impacted a whole bunch of people, but I remember sending my dad this email. And me and my father don't talk. I don't fuck with the guy at all. I don't know if that'll change in the future, but that's that's the state of things at the moment. I remember I shot him an email because there was a conversation we had back when I lived with my parents. So this would have been 15 years ago or something like this, 
we were watching like an Avengers uh, animated something. Black Panther came on. And I remember me and him having this conversation that they will never make a Black Panther movie. Because I think the Iron Man movie had maybe just came out or something. They will never make a live action Black Panther movie because the symbolism is too powerful, is too strong, and, and the name. They'll never be able to get away with putting on that screen on Hollywood, you know, silver screens across the world, that phrase Black Panther that is associated with that radical self-defense party that he's, you know, that, that, you know, that the fucking government murdered members of, that will never fucking happen. And then fast forward 10, 12 years, and I'm sitting in this theater with literally a packed cinema of about like 250 black Australians. So this is like a a fucking surreal experience because I'm sitting here, not just in a theater about to watch the biggest Afrofuturist African diaspora science fiction film to have ever existed, first of its kind, but every single person in the theater is experiencing the same thing as me through a shared blackness. And I'm in another whole other fucking country, which is like this highlighting of the fact that this is a, an international fucking experience. Niggas was dressed in fucking dashikis and every, it was, we made a fucking convention of it. We booked out the whole fucking theater for this thing. And so people from all over Melbourne came in. So it was just a sea of black faces, very few of which were American, all watching this movie. And I just thought back to that conversation that I'd had with my dad, like, yo, I'm sitting here experiencing literally the impossible. So, uh, you know, Chadwick gave us that. So even if I didn't know him, that's something worth giving thanks for. So thank you to him for that. I don't think I can add anything to that. And that was beautiful. It's all good, man. I, I think you made some, some very good points about the nature of, of the thing. So look, everybody, um, we will see you next time. It's no, it's no red flags being waved at the time. See you next week for some, some talk about dicks and pussies and all that good shit. See y'all next week. It's a red flag.